Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is brought to you by Magnanimous Rentals. Cameras, lenses, lights, and much more at the lowest rental rates online. Magnanimous Rentals, every order submitted at magrents.com. That's M-A-G-R-E-N-T-S.com. Every order submitted receives a discount. Inexpensive production essentials ship right to your door. Magrents.com. Go Magnanimous. Listen, I've been working with Magnanimous Rentals for a few years, and I love it. I can't tell you how awesome it is to have a production trip, which I travel at least once a month or so, and I pack my bags and my luggage with my clothes, I hop on my plane, I reach my destination, I get to my hotel or my Airbnb, and boom, my equipment is there waiting for me nicely packaged up. My cameras, my lenses, tripods, lights, I didn't have to travel with any expensive or heavy equipment, and it just made everything a breeze. I do my shoot. I knock it out of the park, I pack the equipment back into the packaging it came in, and I stop by UPS or FedEx on the way back to the airport, and boom, it's back on its way to Magnanimous Rentals. Super easy, super affordable, and listen, if you have a production in-house for your business and you can't justify purchasing camera equipment, this is a perfect affordable alternative for you guys. Rent the equipment that you need and then send it back. Magnanimous Rentals, go check them out at magrents.com. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by Six Second Stories, where we help you maximize your impact through short-form storytelling. About 80% of my clients are nonprofits, and many of them struggle with an effective PR strategy, especially when it comes to marketing and video marketing and social media marketing, content marketing, all the marketing. So if you need help, with modern media relations, especially for nonprofits, this is the episode for you. Today, my guest is Antoinette Kerr. I met Antoinette at the Create Good Conference right here in downtown Durham in 2018. About that time, I just started my new business, Six Second Stories, and like I said, we're working with a lot of nonprofits, and so I was in tune to that sort of stuff, subscribing to, to blogs and Uh, different newsletters and getting all this information and I saw an ad for the Create Good Conference which is for non-profit non-profit communicators and on top of all that which it was already sounding perfect uh, for me to go to to learn and better help my clients I'm not a non-profit communicator but I work with non-profits so essentially or effectively I am 
And then on top of all that, I found out that it was a mile from my house. So I'm like, uh, yes, this is this is what we're doing. And it was right when we when we launched Six Second Stories. So it was perfect. I was very excited to be there. Met a lot of great people. Saw a lot of great speakers. Some talking about storytelling as well. And then outside uh, in the lobby selling books was Antoinette. And she was there with her partner, Kivy. I think they're both involved in the same company. But Antoinette had... A book, Modern Media Relations for Nonprofits, Creating an Effective PR Strategy for Today's World. And she is also the founder and CEO of Bold and Bright Media, which is a publishing company in Charlotte. And so we got talking and very quickly like hit it off because she was a journalist and she understood storytelling. And so when that word came up, I was like, hey, that's what I do. And we, we started talking about how nonprofits need this sort of help many of them struggle with these pain points and so we're just like yo we're into the same thing we need to be friends and she's like hey if you ever write a book i'm a book publisher so let me know and i was like oh interesting you should say that hashtag am writing (laughs) that's that's on twitter uh check it out it's a good community um but yeah i said well i'm writing a book and um maybe maybe we could collaborate on that so we'll see how that goes uh i'm still writing said book Um, but what's also cool, if I could take a moment just to toot my own horn, is that one year later, now I'm presenting at the Create Good Conference, so I really hope, uh, this year, which is May 9th and May 10th, that Antoinette will be back there so that we can hang out now that we're buddies, but I had her on the show to talk about these sort of things that we vibed about so quickly and easily when I met her in April of 2018, So I'm going to shut up so you can hear what Antoinette Kerr has to say about modern media relations for nonprofits. Check it out. How you been? How's life? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's been busy. Um, I took a job with the public news service. Hmm. And so that has uh, taken up, in addition to Bold and Bright, right. I, which we're signing six authors, it, which is crazy in the next, um, crazy, I'm trying to stop using that term, but <laughs> we'll announce it in the next month or so. Uh-huh. And they're pretty great people, like all of Kivy's network. I mean, honestly, it's just really cool. But getting that together has been my life for the past month and a half. And we came out with our third book on uh, two weeks ago. That's killer. Hey, let me ask you a question real quick. Why are you trying to stop using the word crazy? I think this might be a good learning point for our audience. Uh, just because of um, person-centered language. And mm-hmm. I was was uh, speaking with someone who has a relative who is um, has mental challenges. And they thought every time they heard that word, they thought it was just, you know, just it's disrespectful to people. And it's been it's been applied to people with mental challenges in a derogatory way. So I'm trying to stop using it in my everyday language. Um, just because it's a derogatory word for some people who have mental challenges. So I I didn't see it that way until somebody pointed it out. And I was like, you know what? That doesn't have to be in my vocabulary, but it's so normal for us to use it. I think it's also pretty vague too. Like, what does it really mean? You know? Um, But I think that's a big part of what people, people are learning. A lot of the, the nonprofits and companies that I work with are having to learn this language of, uh, you know, inclusivity, right. Of, of how to talk and make everybody feel welcome. I was at a fellowship over the summer and there was one person that was hearing impaired. Um, and so they had, a uh, an interpreter, um, up, up at the front of the conference, you know, um, basically signing everything. And it just, it added a whole new element of understanding for all of us, meaning like were we standing in her way so that she could see her sign or uh, for me uh, for a filmmaker everything everything should have subtitles now you know not only are many of us who are are able to hear well listening without audio but there's a huge chunk of our audience that is hearing impaired and it's so easy just to add subtitles. So that's like a small tip that I, uh, I, I work with my clients all the time on. So I think that's good and it's, it's always changing, but I think it's good, especially for nonprofits, which I kind of want to touch base on today to learn how to be inclusive in their language. Well, the um, national coalition against domestic violence, I, I spoke for them 
and they were the first group that would, they were insistent that when someone spoke or when someone asked a question that they actually had a microphone mm-hmm. and it was the first time, like you said, that I actually thought about it. And they said, it's, it's really about inclusivity for people who have, who are hearing impaired mm-hmm. and you don't know, you might not know, you know, maybe they're not totally needing, you know, but they, they need that extra help. And yeah. so I didn't think about that, but they were very much like, you know, even when someone asked a question, they were like, hold on, repeat your question. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so considerate for people in the room who, you know, we don't know, but actually need that help and support. And so when I've gone out to speak in the future, I've, I've just said, you know, let's just make sure we get all the questions in the microphone and that I answer in the microphone. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. The small thing you can do as a speaker. But. A very small thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so switching back to, uh, I just wanted to take a moment cause I was interested in, <clears throat> in why you said that, but switching back to bold and bright, which is your publishing company. It is. Right. So you had, when did you start that? I think you, it was pretty new when we met, right? Or is it, have have you been doing this for a while? No, it's pretty new. I've, um, I had the idea since, uh, 16, right? Right, right. So I worked for a newspaper and I was a, a lowly intern, you know, so my, I'm at the, at the, you know, bottom here and looking up going, you know, I want to be a reporter. I mean, they have these great, you know, jobs of telling people stories, which is, you know, a lot of what people do in the nonprofit world and how I got into the nonprofit world. But then I met a publisher and I was like, oh, that's the person really in charge. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I want to do that. But it wasn't until later that I decided book publishing was the route and I thought I would do it, you know, in my dreams. I would eventually do it. And I worked as a nonprofit ED for 10 years and then decided life is short mm-hmm. and that I wanted to go in that direction and just follow that. So, and there's a, a real gap to me in nonprofit publishing. So that's, tell me, tell me more about that. Is when I got into it, I think that was your original question. So I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't no, no, no worries. I, we're, we're here to learn everything from you. Tell me about that gap that you see in nonprofit publishing. So the gap that I see in nonprofit publishing is pretty much, you know, we have a lot of people who want to publish academic content Hmm. and I think that's great. Um, You know, for people who are going back to school, there are a lot of nonprofit, you know, programs at universities and colleges. And I think that's wonderful. And then I see a lot of self publishing. Mm -hmm. So people who don't want to go the academic route, a lot of people end up self publishing the quality is not the same. Um, you can't necessarily get in with um, universities through that system because they don't want to deal with small publishers. So you have to go through a wholesale distributor. And um, a Barnes & Noble, for example, needs a wholesale distributor. Mm-hmm. And it's for a one-person publishing company, it's hard to get into those relationships. So, you know, you have the gap between these like super thick, wonky academic books and these really great guides that people need to get in their hands, but can't necessarily get to them unless they know the author and they're looking for that person. So, you know, we're in the middle as far as um, we created this hybrid, Bold and Bright Media created this hybrid publishing company where, you know, our target audience is um, is typically people who are working in the sector who Mm -hmm. aren't going back to college. But we have universities using our books as well. So it could be it could be used in a classroom. But our our market is really someone who's like, I need to know how to do this thing. Hmm. And I need to know it in less than 200 pages. So (laughs) that's where we are. How do you select the books that you want to put out? Uh, well, uh, we're really looking for guides. I think that's the biggest thing. So we've turned down a lot of uh, you know, biographical books, mm-hmm. you know, people who just want to share their stories. Cause mm-hmm. we all have great stories. I'm a journalist sure. I'm by trade. I love your story, but we're looking for more than that. We're looking for people who, you know, can say, you know, here's what I've learned and here's how you can apply it to your work. Mm. So that's important. Um, we're also interested in people who really want to sell their book and really want to promote and market. So not necessarily people who are like, Oh, I need a book. You know, we're not a vanity press. So, um, Oh, I need a book is real cute, but it's like, (laughs) I think people need to hear this message. And so we're looking for people who are, you know, going to go out and speak and, and, 
and, you know, kind of work on sharing this message and do you feel passionate about it? Right. And if they're doing it for the right reasons, they're already doing that that extra work of marketing because they're focused on who they're trying to impact, right? Like who are you writing the book for? Ideally, it's for an audience that you're trying to help, right? Right. So hopefully that means you're already out there doing that good work and speaking engagements and just kind of pushing the message you're trying to push. And I think most of the people that we're working with have already had conversations about this. Mm-hmm. You know, Kivy's Calm Not Busy book, mm-hmm. she's previewed that, you know, before at Create Good, for example, the yeah. conference. So she's been testing this method and, you know, working with it, working through it. So it's not, you know, a completely new concept. So I think you're right. Most of the people are really already talking about these topics. And I, do you still want, because you mentioned something like you want a guide, but, but you said you kind of ideally want somebody who's explaining what they've experienced and, you know, dishing out the guide through that. Do you, do you think, do you feel like if there's a good narrative or story that it helps those guides or should it just be information based? No, no, no. That's boring. No, it should be, it should be around even your story about how you came upon these conversations, how you, you know, in modern media relations, which is my book for nonprofits, Mm -hmm. you can't see it because of the light. That's all right. I got my copy of it. Um, So in modern media relations, I talk about how I even came into this conversation. You know, Mm -hmm. I came into this conversation as I was a journalist who went to work for a nonprofit and thought, and then I still freelanced on the side and I thought, okay, journalists need to tell good stories and nonprofits have good stories. Mm-hmm. How do we bring those two things together? So, you know, it's still me sharing some, you know, here's how I came upon this. Here's, and, and Peter Panapento, who's my co-author, is um, formerly from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. So a lot of what he shares, he learned from nonprofits trying to tell their stories. So we're both in that space. What are some of the challenges that you saw most within the nonprofit community trying to share their stories that it may still exist, but we can talk about when you first got in there and, or the challenges you see now. Um, the biggest challenges, I think, um, journalism is a challenge right now because mm. of the shortage in the media rooms and the fact that we don't have necessarily have people who have nonprofits as a beat anymore. So it, you have to realize that people don't, people don't have the time to learn about your issue as deeply as you want them to. And that frustrates me as a journalist. Um, Like I said, I'm working for the public news service now. So I cover nonprofits um, in North Carolina and Tennessee and their stories and things like, you know, issues related to climate change. When a bill comes out about climate change, I'm completely relying on the nonprofit to get me ready to know what it is that I need to know about this. I don't have time to read all of the pages of the bill. But I, and I do want to share a good story, but I really am replying. I'm, I'm looking for a nonprofit partner who can say, this is what this means for people in North Carolina. This is how, this is how it will impact people in poverty. This is how it will impact people who are, you know, um, you know, living on this, these wages from Medicare or Medicaid. And so that to me, I think the biggest challenge is you really have to get that report porter up to speed because they don't they're not in a beat anymore mm-hmm. back in the day we used to have beats where i had time to research mm. a topic and that doesn't exist in a whole lot of publications anymore. Anymore. or or radio i'm right now i'm working in radio which is a new thing and i have even i have a small amount of time to tell a story i have two minutes and 30 seconds and um most of the people i interview have nine to 20 second sound bites so that's, that's how tight we have to get that yeah. message. And most people aren't ready when you call them. They aren't. So now that, you know, when I work with people continuously, I, I tell them, I'm like, okay, we, you know, I can't interview someone for five minutes, for example, because I won't meet my deadlines. But, you know, we need to get this down in like a minute and a half and I need nine to 20 seconds. Sound <laughs> so, how do you coach somebody on, on how to get messaging across in that short amount of time? Do you have any tips? Um, I think maybe speaking in sentences mm-hmm. and pausing is important, <laughs> like I'm doing now, uh, because I'm, I need to cut your audio. Right. And I think if, you know, it sounds abrupt in most cases if you cut it in different, different places. But I think, you know, it's okay to pause in the interview 
and wait and say the most important thing. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, if we just took a second here, although, you know, we don't like dead air in the radio, mm-hmm. but I'm not interviewing people live. So that's different. Yeah. Um, from like now we're, you know, having a, a live inter- interaction, but for the most case, the media is not interviewing you live unless you're on television or radio live. Mm-hmm. They hate dead air. Don't do it there. But right. um, just pause. Yeah, no, I like pacing is everything. I deal with that a lot in, you know, editing films. And if I'm working with a young editor, sometimes I have to tell them, and this was told to me by an editor that I worked with that I look up to a lot, just sometimes you have to let it breathe. And it makes those other segments stronger. So I really love that because I think that people, when they think they only have 30 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever, they try to jam in as much as possible. Like, oh no, I don't have much time. But it's really the opposite where you should just chill out, deliver one strong message versus trying to fit in like five. And then I think even remembering that you're, in most cases, in a quote, for example, you're the punctuation. Mm. You don't have to, like if, if you're sending out a press release or if you're sending out, you know, even you probably deal with that as a filmmaker, you know, you have the stats. Mm-hmm. And in my case, I, I'm responsible as a reporter to fact check the stats. I don't need that in your quote. I need you to tell me, give me the, this is our time to give the human aspect of why we care about this. So if we're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, maternal mortality, you know, I don't need you to quote the, the quote, but to say that the U.S. is the only one of three nations um, and the only industrial nation that has a rising maternal mortality rate, you know, is important. But then why do we care about that? You know, my editor always says, why do people care about this today? Mm -hmm. I have to start every story with explaining why people care about this today. So whether I'm covering your fundraiser or I'm covering your data report, I've got to make people out there or convince the next level of of person, you know, in the media world, why they should care about that story. Mm. I think that's such a good practice to use with anything that you're putting out there any any message that you're putting out there whether it's a tweet or a film or or a quote or anything and is if you first ask yourself why do people care about this you know what i mean it might it, it'll give you the opportunity to rephrase it if you need to or, or or think about what bits are important i think that's really really valuable something i've seen before uh often uh with Part of why I work with a lot of nonprofits is because as an indie filmmaker, I share a lot of the the pain points with nonprofit uh, communicators or marketers. You know, no resources, no funds, no energy, no team, whatever, and a mountain of work to do. And I often see clients of mine that are nonprofits because they're kind of overwhelmed, they develop no strategy. They're just trying to keep up keep up with everything. And so they'll do a post here and a post there. And I work with a lot of them on how to like repurpose content and have kind of a pyramid or a master plan. And then they break down and redistribute into smaller platforms, et cetera. Um, is that something that you notice in all the time you work with, with nonprofits when you have like that one person marketing team, it's, it can be kind of crippling, right? To just, to have, to just wing it. It can. Yeah. I do notice that. And, um, I think that I like that pyramid idea that mm-hmm. you were talking about. Um, I feel like people get stuck in my experience as someone who's working in the news industry right now, who has to deal with breaking news. I do think that there's some balance between that overall strategy that keeps people from responding to, mm. um, opportunities where they could uh, provide information you know, for example, there's some debate, you know, the Super Bowl was recently, and I don't know when this will air, mm-hmm. but the Super Bowl was recently, and I didn't notice a lot of domestic violence organizations talking about, at one point, there was a debate about whether or not Super Bowl Sunday was the most violent day of the year for women. Mm. And I, and then, you know, as things came out with the NFL in the past, you know, earlier in or later in 2018, about what happened with them covering up domestic violence against women. I just didn't see a lot of people responding to it. So I felt like the domestic violence community was so focused on, 
okay, here's our strategy. You know, we have domestic violence awareness month. We're going to put this out here and this here and there, you know, this month is, um, you know, dedicated to um, teen violent uh, relationships. And so we get into our strategies, but then I've, I feel like we're missing opportunities because news media needs that content. You know, they're looking for an expert to speak and, you know, why not have someone come forward from a domestic violence agency when, when NFL players are, are being, I, and I had one nonprofit that we interviewed for Modern Media Relations who talked about, you know, unfortunately being able to capitalize on, you know, this whole tragedy of uh, one particular player had, um, you know, got into some legal trouble about um, how they spanked their child. Mm. And it was mm. a whole conversation and they were able to get on all these mainstream like media stations that, you know, nonprofit dream, right? I mean, here, yeah. you know, you have all these news stations calling you, wanting you to come and talk about the thing you've been talking about the whole time, like, you know, child safety and child, I, you know, so I think that, that somewhere between that strategy, I mean, I, I, people need a strategy and mm-hmm. you know, we talk about being goal oriented in the book. And then we also just need to really look for opportunities and still be flexible when, mm-hmm. when things arise that are related to us. And even if it's something you're not even, you don't have to issue an entire press release, but you could just issue a public statement and yeah. make yourselves a thought leader for that. I've noticed that a lot of politicians do that now. I get all sorts of public statements on everything. That's a good point. So you don't have to put together, maybe it takes too much time in your office to get the press release through because every you have to have like too many people approve it. But even if it's just a paragraph or a public statement, um, I think that's valuable. Um, you mentioned uh, some of the, the tips in the book, uh, which I think is just chock full of, of good advice. Do you think we could dive into that a little bit? Sure. Um, so... I think the easiest thing to do, because it's a lot of content, um, and if anybody listening wants to check it out, it's Modern, modern Media Relations for Nonprofits. Um, I got it last year from you at the Create Good Conference. Thank you for supporting. <laughs> yeah. And it's on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. So can you tell me a little bit about the acronym GREAT? Great. Yes. I know that's a big question and a lot of information. (laughs) We can get the bullet points. Everybody wants to be great. So um, our great strategy is uh, related to being goal-oriented, responsive, empowered, appealing, and targeted. Mm -hmm. And so those are just kind of the, the strategies that we just pulled, pulled things that Peter and I saw and, and as we interviewed, so we interviewed journalists and we interviewed nonprofits mm-hmm. and we asked people, you know, what frustrated them about media relations. And then we asked journalists, what frustrates you about working with nonprofits? And <laughs> so from there, or what did you love about your, yeah. you know, what's your favorite nonprofit to cover and what do you love about it? And then, um, same thing with, with, uh, nonprofits. We said, you know, tell us about times where you had great success in having media coverage. And those were not the most expensive times. You know, they weren't right. the times where they hired a PR firm because we had one nonprofit say that um, another company in their area had invested like $150,000 in uh, PR relations over three years. And wow. they partnered with a podcast and they got donors that really loved their work. Mm-hmm. They just had uh, so much, uh, it was a better return on investment, which I mean, the investment was staff time and that's worth something, but they found a niche. And so, you know, that's, that's part of that targeted part that we talk about. So, Mm. um, but most nonprofits don't even have goals for media relations. You know, they maybe measure things like, you know, it's kind of like, uh, Peter uses the spray or pray term, you know, you throw it out Mm. and you (laughs) hope that somebody covers it and you don't care who it is or who they're reaching. But, you know, in most cases for demographics, you don't know who's, who's on the other end of, of what you're, you are uh, sending out to a paper, for example. Right. You know, if you haven't done the research, you could just be wasting, you know, dollars and investing. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I'll just pause there because I'm I'm not sure if I answered your question about grade. I kind of went through it very quickly. Yeah. Well, let's, what are, how can we be better at setting goals? Like, Everybody knows that that's probably a good thing, but where do they start? 
like I think you start with your team or mm -hmm. a team of people and uh, that really frees up to me that frees up the people who are if you're not an executive director and you're working in communications it frees you from this okay we sat down and we talked about our goals together mm -hmm. so maybe that includes board maybe that includes a board staff ed combo but then it kind of frees you up after that like you know it's like your budget when you set for your nonprofit mm -hmm. each year it's like once you tell me what i can spend i don't have to come back and ask you for money every time like i know what we're supposed to be doing and i think that really is the challenge for nonprofit uh, pe people incomes and people you know not in exactly in the ed position right they don't know what messaging they're supposed to right so yeah that's that's i think that's key what i've been learning uh in my own journey with my own business is well first of all i think it's important to have a clear like the mission's got to be clear like where are we heading right Right. And then I think once that's clear and everyone on the team knows that, then it should, ideally, it should inform every decision you make, small or big. Is it leading us to this point? And then it took me a long time to realize this because for the longest, you know, I would wing it and maybe have goals, but they were arbitrary, like, and they weren't attached to anything. They're just like, I want to do this, you know? Um, but now I'm starting to realize that it's a, a that the goals happen in a like typically like a linear path to lead to that bigger goal. Right. So if, if my mission is to, to, you know, to do this for this person or this type of people, then what are the goals that I need to set on the macro scale and the big scale to get there and then break that down even smaller and like, okay, well, so what's a weekly goal that can get me one. If I want to write a book, let's say, you know, what's, what can I do? What's my weekly goal? Do I want to get five pages, 10 pages or whatever? If I just have the goal to write a book, it's kind of like wishful thinking, right? Yeah. You should write a book. I know a good publisher. So. Do you? <laughs> um, I, I, I would love to talk to you about that. Um, I'm working on a, on a couple of ideas right now, but one that I think would be appropriate for, for you guys, for Bold and Bright, because it is targeting the same, uh, the same audience. Definitely, so, definitely. Maybe we can talk about that. That would be good. Well, I know that the go the nonprofits that I work with, there are some nonprofits that are so strategic in their goals. Mm -hmm. It is like, as you know, it's it's so good, but it's mm -hmm. so narrow um, in focus. And I, I'll give an example. AARP um, is a nonprofit that I cover often. Mm -hmm. And I just did a whole podcast about, or a webinar about their podcast, um, the Perfect Scam podcast, because it's like I binged their podcast. Right. And I never thought I would binge an AARP podcast. Right. It's all about scams. And Frank <laughs> Abagnale hosts the darn thing. So I'm like, okay, this is like juicy. It's like international love affairs gone wrong scams all, all day. So one thing that I like about AARP, um, you know, I'll call them every once in a while and I'll say, okay, you know, February is heart health month mm -hmm. and let's, you know, talk about it. Do y'all have anything going on? Or are you doing a story? And their, their communications folks will say, that's not really a priority for us this year. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, they're like, these are, these, this is what, but we're in the middle of promoting our um, free tax program. So AARPs all over the country have this free tax program and it's happening right now. And in particular with the shutdown, they really needed to mm. have um, let people know that, you know, the IRS still wants your money and that's what they're focused on. That is a goal. They decided in January that they're going to focus all of their marketing. And I talk about this in the book a little, but um, a big thing that I talk about is, making sure your earned paid and owned media coordinate. Hmm. And I've seen so many nonprofits earned media is uh, like traditional journalism. Mm -hmm. Owned media is what you own your podcast, your blog, your mm -hmm. website, your newsletter, all of that's owned. And then your paid media would be advertising. Gotcha. And for AARP, you know, they're focusing all of their media on their goals for the year. I think they do a great job with it. They're, they're one organization that I feel like they don't get pulled into, you know, with senior issues, which is what they deal with 55 and above or 50 and above. They could really be pulled in a lot of directions, but they decide what they're focused on. 
And not that they don't care about the other issues, but as far as their marketing goes, they're coordinating strategies in a way that I think is really important for nonprofits. What are ways that we can be better with our targeting? I think now more than ever, we have the ability to target our audiences like, like never before. But again, it's one of those things that I find a lot of the people that I'm working with are kind of clueless about or can be. Do you have any thoughts or, or skills, strategies, tips for how to be better in our targeting? I think that, and we have an entire section about targeting, but you know, to me, it goes back to your goals for your organization. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go back to the AARP, for example. Sure. Uh, they have you know, that, that genre of 55 and up, but they also at one point, I think, realized that caregivers are a large consumer of information and they are mm. caring for people in their, in their target area. Yeah. So, you know, having that kind of sit down and conversation to say, you know, maybe we want people, you know, in this income range, but also, or in this age group, but also realizing that you can, you can get to those folks, you know, for example, you know, ch- child and parent relationships, mm-hmm. you know, obviously I've, on one end we've seen, okay, if we get, if we, you know, reach the parent, we can reach the child, but I've seen nonprofits target children through different types of programs. And they're like, well, if the kids come, the parents will participate. <laughs> you know, so that, I think that's, that, and that's not to answer your question about targeting, but I, I no, feel like helpful. that requires a conversation that is inclusive with mm-hmm, your, mm-hmm. you know, again, I go to that board staff, um, you know, client, customer, volunteer relationship. And sometimes it's important to get outside of your organization. You know, so many people's press releases and news releases read like a grant application. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what you're talking about when you <laughs> use some of these, this language. Like, do not send me, don't let your development person who writes your grants write your press release. Even if they did get the grant, I do not know what that means. I don't understand. And I don't know why, what, you know, why should we care about this today? I'm glad that you got the money, but why should we care about this today? So having that, you know, kind of company wide conversation and sitting down and talking about, you know, who do we want to target? And you know what, if you're, if your target hasn't been working, if your um, outreach hasn't been working, then maybe you're missing something. Either you're not speaking to the people that you need to reach or you might need to think about getting to that audience in another way. Mm-hmm. Or, or how you're speaking to them sometimes. How you're, how you're speaking to them. I think um, I worked in the affordable housing world for a long time and we had this language called, we, well, we were, we were just wonky. Like when I first got in the world, I was like, oh, if I don't, if I learn another acronym in my life, <laughs> It will be too soon because I, it took, it was like a different language going to conferences. I was like, now what does that mean? I mean, besides HUD, I, I had no right. idea what all these terms meant, but I um, was a part of a conversation about financial literacy, for example. And we just, I think across, at least in North Carolina, across the housing world, we saw people not coming to quote unquote financial literacy programs. And I was kind of the newbie in the room. Of course, the new person typically has nothing to lose. And I was like, why are we even calling it this? Maybe we need to change the name. And, you know, as, as people did research, they realized that people didn't want to come to a financial literacy class. I mean, it sounds boring and it, you know, the opposite of literacy is illiteracy. And, you know, people just started to realize that no one wants to admit to being illiterate about anything really. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe you don't present it in that way. So we started changing the name and the language. Um, We called it financial fitness and we had a larger sign up just because we changed the, the language mm-hmm. for it. You know, it's funny. It brings us back to our uh, initial point about inclusive language, right? When we first started talking about, the, you know, using the word crazy. It's the same kind of thing. It's like, what are you going to turn somebody off with your words? Are you going to make them feel welcome? I agree. I haven't ever thought about that before, but I agree 100%. If I saw something that said, you know, a financial literacy course, It'd be, a t- it'd be a tough thing to sign up for both the reasons you said. It's boring. I don't know what that means. <laughs> and also, if I do know what that means, you're applying that I'm illiterate and I don't want to, you know, nobody wants to admit that. However, if you say something like, you know, 
how to save a little bit more money or financial fitness, you know, something like that. Cause everybody wants that essentially. Or how to have a great Christmas on a budget. Christmas on a budget because a lot of people go into debt at, at, uh, during the Christmas time. They want, you know, they want children to have a wonderful Christmas and um, you know, people are willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. their bills for that. Yep. So, you know, it's like, let's, let's speak to, you know, that's the, the thing that I find even at, in grant writing, you know, I just found that for years and I'm guilty of it because I did it, you know, for a decade as a grant writer, I just had lazy ways of describing things, mm. you know, disenfranchised, marginalized. I <laughs> used those terms rather than describing the real problem because they were easy and grantors yeah. were used to hearing them um, until I had a grantor challenge me and say, what does this really mean? And yeah. I've been using it so long that I hadn't even had to explain that. Right, right. And then you have a hard time doing it. That's a great point. It's we put that in press releases too. And then we're surprised when the media coverage, I, I love this one site and I need to remember the name of it, um, that I was on that had a whole uh, section for journalists and how to talk about the population of, of folks that they serve and how not to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was so important for me because I don't know. Yeah. You know, um, and I, I've heard several nonprofits say you know, we really don't like the way that this came across, but they never, they never say why, or it's too in depth for me to understand, you know, that people in the population, you know, now we're learning more about person-centered language, but, you know, calling someone disabled for a long time was okay. You know, there were times where you used the R word. There were nonprofits that had the R word to refer to disabled Mm. people in it. And, you know, it wasn't, unless you describe and explain that to people, you know, that's, that's part of our job as in the nonprofit world is to let people know what, why, how they should be talking to the people. And, and, and that way you get an article that you're proud to share. Right. You know, I've had things in the housing world that, you know, my folks, like if I shared what the way they describe the people in our community, I, I, I was, I would be embarrassed to do that. Yeah. And so, you know, I, as a journalist, I, I try to be more mindful of that, but sometimes I get it wrong, you know? Yeah, of course. I think, you know, when I'm interviewing people or talking to people and you may maybe not come from the same situation they do, I think it's a lot of work on us to find that point where we can relate to them and connect with them on a human level. I think you've already kind of said something like this. To me, it's all about empathy and, and trying to understand who you're talking to and where they're coming from so that you can talk to them, you know, in the most effective way. We have to do a lot of listening, right? A lot of listening. And, you know, people just don't have time for that anymore. I think that's the biggest challenge is, you know, most people are like, well, that sounds like something else I have to put on my to-do list. And I'm like, you know, we could probably change the world if, if we just did a little bit more of that. Just slow down and give it a little space. Like we were talking about, when people try to, you know, when you just said, just pause and let that sentence kind of resonate. I think it's the same way. Just people don't have time to learn something new, but if you slow down and pause, it allows you to have more, you know, effectiveness impact to go deeper with one another, you know? Yeah. I definitely get the best quotes from people when they say, let me just think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, again, you can't do that on live radio. Right. television let me not even pretend that that's acceptable but for somebody to say let me just think about that question for a second and then we talk about it mm-hmm. i get the i get the best quote i forget who said this um because i interview a lot of people too and sometimes it's about tough subjects but there's a a tip out there i forget where it originated where it's like when someone's silent for a moment and they're thinking about something as an interviewer, often we feel the need to jump in and kind of save them from that awkward moment. But if you just relax and let everyone sit in that kind of awkward silence for a moment, it can be really powerful. And and generally what happens is a great quote comes after that. But a lot of times, like I have to coach myself not to jump in and like answer for them when there's that first three to five seconds of silence, when what's really happened is they're just trying to collect their thoughts because they have thoughts about this. They're not just stumped, but that awkward silence granted, like you said, in live television and radio, we got to find something to, to do with that dead space. But when I'm interviewing somebody for a film, 
I really try to give them that space now and just, and I don't say anything. I don't try to throw them a lifeline. I just let them marinate on it and think about it. And then that's usually when those profound thoughts and quotes come out. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. We, I think we have to get more comfortable with silence. Uh, And I think that what I mute myself when I interview people and I tell them that and I say, you know, I'll, I'll come back. And so it's, Sometimes it's after that awkward pause because people go blah, 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 blah. And then there's this break and you see that in the audio because I'm, I know you're used to like looking at audio and audio. So you see this gap in the audio and then the most beautiful thing comes in after that silence. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I won't jump back in and and unmute myself. And sometimes it, you know, people will be like, are you there? (laughs) Because being interrupted in the culture. We're used to, you know, uh uh-huh, yeah, and people, Mm -hmm. someone, you know, even co-signing. And so I think that there's something really powerful in that silence. And um, I've seen it happen time and time again in interviews. And I really, we, we, um, a friend of mine and I have done some training in, in inclusive conversations and we've done some story circles together. Mm. And she does this amazing thing where you go around the circle and you share a story you get two minutes whether you use them or not. And if not, you just, you know, the circle sits there in silence and some powerful stuff happens after that. But that's a whole aside. That's not in the book, by the way. That's, no, that's all right. <laughs> I'm, book, maybe the next well, one. this is the storytelling lab. So I'm curious about that. Is there a theme for those stories or they just say, tell us a story, go. No, it's typically a theme. It's about, like, in our work, we have um, talked about inclusive conversations mm-hmm. and, and having those within your nonprofit. And so um, we talk, we kind of, you know, go through the, you know, just even what happens in nonprofits as far as when someone, you know, is offended or um, offensive. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, typically we ask people to share their experience about whenever, we call it the oops, ouch you know, whenever they've had that experience, whether they've offended someone or they've been offended. And, you know, we ask them to go around in a circle. And the thing about the story circle is it's a place of equity. And so, you know, there are people who will at work, and we all know those folks who will always talk. (laughs) And then there are people who have stories and something to say that they're not. And so when you pause you, this is something that my friend Kim Pevia taught me, you know, that this pause um, and, and this comes from, you know, her Native American heritage that, mm. you know, it gives space for someone, an equitable space for someone who might not speak otherwise. And if they just sit there in silence for two minutes and don't share anything, that's welcome in their circle as well. Um, it's, it's, it's powerful. I, I really encourage people um, to, to do it maybe with some facilitation because it, some stuff can come out. Mm-hmm. But I think it gives people a deeper understanding of each other. And it, it teaches about communication. Like I said, we're so used to being interrupted that, you know, afterwards I've had people say, well, it's just so weird for me that no one jumped in or no one gave me advice because you don't really give advice in the first part of it. You're just saying people are just sharing how they feel. They're just basically sharing how they feel. I'm seeing a lot of themes in this whole conversation and and one of them seems to be that space and that flexibility you you were talking about, even when you're goal oriented and your strategy, you still got to kind of have that space and flexibility to act on something that's either, you know, pertinent to you, to you and your mission of your organization or, you know, topical or something like that. Uh, Inclusive language, how to listen how to give space. I'm, I'm liking that all these are kind of weaving together because I think it's a good like central core message or, or two for our people to take home. It's cool storytelling and all of it is a part of being a good storyteller. Um, I think that that is something that I'm hoping that you write about because I think that is what media relations people would love. You know, I mean, I, I love a good story mm-hmm. and um, I don't think that we are always putting out the best stories because we're manufacturing press releases that are, are, you know, sometimes I can tell duplicated from last year's event, right? <laughs> we didn't even, some people don't even change the date. Right. I was like, this is, no, <laughs> I'm not covering your event because you didn't even take the time mm. to give me the right date and new location. So what makes a good story to you? Um, humans, people always, um, you know, a reason to care. Mm, that some, part. 
things I don't even, I don't, I didn't care about before. I mean, not, not that I'm, you know, uh, that, you know, not sensitive, but I do. I mean, some of these nonprofits missions I've never heard of before. Yeah. And then I'm going, you know, why do I care about the red cocked woodpecker? Right. Yeah. It doesn't, it it doesn't mean that you won't care, but it goes back to the point we said earlier, like, but why, why would I care? Why do I care? You got to let them know that. Yeah. And that's, and that, those are the stories. And I think I, I, as a journalist, I feel like I can always tell and people can always tell when I, when I connected with something mm-hmm. and most of these things are things I'd never heard of before. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm like, yes, I, I care about this bird becoming extinct because yeah. you know, this is what it means for us in the future. And this is what an example of what we're doing to an, our environment. But you know, I feel like we just, we've got to make that human connection. And um, again, if we go back to what my editor says, why do we, why do I need to care about this today? Um, if you, a journalist, getting a journalist to care is a good start <laughs> on convincing people that this is an important topic. If you can, if you can do that. Man, that's uh, I think that's a great note to end on. It's about, uh, about that time. Um, I'm so excited for you and bold and bright growing the way it is. Uh, and you guys having a lot of books coming out. I'm excited to, uh, to see what titles you have. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. I hope you have a great day and I hope to see your face soon. Okay. See you soon. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.